You're listening to the Jeff Nyquist Radio Show. I'm Jeff Nyquist, your host, and tonight we're going to be talking about the Islamic threat to the United States. It's not going to be politically correct, and you're going to be surprised, maybe even shocked, at the kind of things that are going on and the way the U.S. government has ultimately reacted to the attack of 9-11. My guest tonight is going to be Paul Williams, and he's a former FBI consultant. He's written a number of books, including The Day of Islam that's about to come out, and uh, The Dunces of Doomsday that he wrote uh, most recently. And we're going to be with him after these messages. You're listening to the Jeff Nyquist Radio Show with your host, Jeff Nyquist. WIBG 1020, live local radio for Atlantic City, Cape May, and all of South Jersey. All right, oh, the one side kick, they bloop it, but the Vikings right there to field it. I think it takes guts to come out like you are doing right now. And if all of us will listen to this station more, I'm just so keyed up about it. We talked about it by the hour. We are going to pursue this until we're satisfied. WIBG 1020, on your radio, online, or on your cellular. WIBG 1020, we're everywhere. You're listening to the Jeff Nyquist Radio Show. Tonight, my special guest is Paul Williams. He's a former FBI consultant. He's written books like The Dunces of Doomsday. He's an expert on Islamic terrorism. Welcome to the program, Paul. No place I'd rather be, Jeff. Ah. Well, you've been very outspoken about Islam. Uh, you know, we hear, we've heard the president refer to Islam as a religion of peace. And uh, we've been fighting this war on terror that's involved us in, in fighting in Afghanistan, in Iraq. And, uh, of course, uh, the homeland, uh, is the homeland defended? The homeland is not defended. Uh, what you have right now is uh, in the ports of call, for instance, the port in New York and uh, ports throughout the country. Uh, right now, as we're speaking, less than 3% of the freight is being inspected. In uh, private airports, if you land there with with a private plane, there's a uh, 98% chance that your your freight will not be inspected at all. Uh, the situation at the borders, by the way, the most open border in, into the United States remains our international airports. Hmm. Right now, in, in this country, uh, 40% of the of the illegals are here because of visa overstays. And when you talk to naturalization and immigration, you find out that uh, these visa overstays. Uh, uh, come primarily from Islamic countries. In a public statement, they said that, that this number of overstays may be uh, 5 million, it may be 10 million, maybe 15 million, maybe all the way up to 30 million. It's, it's, a, it's an incredible situation. Uh, there's, right now we're doing, uh, uh, if you go through the census department, you'll find no data on, on, the, on the number of Islamists in the United States because they're not allowed to uh, profile on the, on the basis of religion. Uh, according to the Pew survey, which was recently conducted, they said there, there are only about 2.5 million uh, Muslims in the United States. However, they said that this survey was conducted with landlines, and it does not uh, take into account uh, the Muslims who may be here with cell phones or the Muslims that may be here with unlisted telephone numbers. So uh, adjusting these numbers, uh, according to uh, various other sources, including uh, Gallup, uh, we have projections that there are somewhere between 8 to 10 million 
Muslims in this country. Eight to ten million Muslims? Yes, more Muslims, uh, according to Factbook and, and every other source, than Jews. Uh, this came about, this is a very new development, by the way. Uh, mm -hmm. it, it's, it's probably the most significant development uh, to take place in maybe in the 21st century. Going back to 1970, uh, there was a book by uh, Leo Rostand called Religions of America. And at that time, in 1970, he listed every religious sect, Jehovah's Witnesses, the uh, Seventh-day Adventists, the Methodists, the Baptists, the, the, the Jews, the, uh, the Catholics, the Mormons, everybody was listed there. Uh, the, the Muslims weren't even mentioned as a footnote. They were non-existent. There were, there were less than four mosques in the United States. In, in 1970? Yes. And, and do we know how many there are today? There are well over 6,000. Uh, huh. Not only that, but uh, a survey of, of, of the mosque in, in, in any metropolitan area has yet to be done. And this projection is coming to me from, from various people who have conducted uh, oh, makeshift studies. For instance, right here where I am in northeastern Pennsylvania, if you look in the telephone book under mosque, you'll find no listing. If you try to find a telephone number for a mosque, you will get you know, no listing, not even through directory assistance or by Googling a mosque on the, uh, on, on the Internet. However, uh, where I am, there are at least six and uh, some of these mosques are massive. Uh, some of them uh, are, are uh, Islamic gatherings that take place in storefronts, in, uh, in, uh, in uh, warehouses, even in people's dwellings. So the number of mosques in the United States, uh, once again, that survey has, has yet to be conducted. But uh, the average Islamic family in this country uh, consists of 4.8 members. The average white Christian family in this country consists of 1.7 offspring. The uh, average uh, Jewish family in this country consists of 1.2 offspring, which means that if you do the math, uh, Jeff, as you, and you're very good at math, I know, you'll see that by the year, according to my, my projections, by 2015, Islam in the United States will have reached critical mass, which means it will be well on the way of, uh, of becoming an Islamic country. That's the untold story here. Uh, we, we're looking at Europe and saying, oh, yeah, we see that uh, right now in France, for instance, 40% of the young people uh, between the ages of 18 and 45, 40% are Muslims. Same figure applies to, uh, uh, to England. The second most common name in England right now is Muhammad. The number one most common name remains Jack. But Mohammed, with, with, you know, probably by the end of the decade, will be number one. It already is in the, the, the principal name in, in, in various places, including Rotterdam in, in Europe. So uh, we're, aware, we're well aware of the Islamic takeover of Europe. Many of us, and I think almost all of us, are blind to what's happening right here. Yes. The concern here is that Islam isn't really a religion of peace, that it's actually and i think your position is it is a intolerant religion that makes war on other religions as as part, one of its characteristics jeff if you look at muhammad himself mm -hmm. uh, who made a living by raiding caravans and uh, uh who waged war who committed genocide one afternoon he killed 700 jews had them beheaded and had their bodies tossed in a pit uh aside from muhammad as soon as this religion erupted in the 7th century, it spread throughout the Arabian Peninsula, spread throughout northern Africa, spread 
throughout southern Italy, spread into Spain, spread, spread up into the Pyrenees, and they're driven back by Charles Mortel in the 8th century, uh, once again, by the sword. Uh, after that occurred, the, uh, the Islamic horde uh, again pushed west, and it conquered all of Anatolia, Asia Minor, mm-hmm. and pressed toward uh, Jerusalem, conquered Jerusalem, uh, pressed toward Constantinople, and in order to save the uh, Eastern Christians from being converted and forcibly into Islam, uh, the Crusades took place. This was a, uh, a defensive war uh, uh, to ward off the, the, the Muslims. And uh, we, we really lost the Crusades because uh, the Islamic Horde managed to conquer Constantinople, and it's now Istanbul. But even after that, after the Crusades came to an end, the uh, great Islamic movement by force and by violence spread west again. And they were stopped at the gates of Vienna by the great Polish king, John Zabriskie. And once again, even after that, uh, we, we, we have they spread in th- throughout the Balkans, in the 18th and 19th century, in the 20th century, we saw the uh, the sudden push uh, west again, west and east. So this is this is nothing new. Every place right now in the world where violence is occurring, every spot in Indonesia, in Chechnya, in uh, in the Balkans, even in South America, uh, uh, even in the Far East, every place where there's a, an occurrence of violence, where blood is being spilled. There's one common denominator, and that's Islam. Hmm. With me is Paul Williams. He is the author of Dunces of Doomsday. He's an FBI, former FBI consultant and expert on Islamic terror. And uh, we'll be right back after these messages. You're listening to the Jeff Nyquist Radio Show with your host, Jeff Nyquist. At 10.20 a.m. or WIBG.com, we're the area's first choice for Christian news talk and a whole lot more. WIBG 10.20, on your radio, online, or on your cellular. WIBG 10.20, we're everywhere. You're listening to the Jeff Nyquist Radio Show. All right, we're back. I'm Jeff Nyquist, and my guest, Paul Williams, We've just been uh, talking about the nature of Islam and the problems with it. Uh, Paul, I I remember some of my medieval history, and what you were just saying was that what we have in Islam is a 1,400-year global problem because they have invaded, you know, uh, Europe, Africa, Asia. They've been all over the map. Uh, they took over what was the Eastern Roman Empire, and they've he- they hold to to this day much of that territory. And um, let's talk a little bit about what Islamic doctrine teaches. Is Islam an enlightened religion? Is it a religion of freedom and democracy, or is it a, a religion that basically teaches despotism and um, slavery? Well, uh, Jeff, the answer to that, by the way, and I have to say this before we get much further into the uh, program, I've, I've spoken to a radio hosts and I've dealt with news correspondents throughout this country, uh, really on an ongoing basis, almost on a daily basis since uh, 2001. You're one of the, you are, believe me, Jeff, and I want to say this for your sponsors and everybody in your audience, you're, you, you are one of the best, maybe probably the brightest of them all. So it's an honor to talk to you. But getting back to, uh, to what you, uh, you just alluded to, uh, it, it's a most unenlightened religion. Uh, 
Islam has, uh, if you look at, uh, at countries that are Islamic, uh, you will see that they're all backward countries. Uh, they're all countries in which women still walk around in garbage bags and, uh, and uh, countries in which people are still crucified, uh, countries in which uh, books are, are not printed. Uh, for instance, there are more books printed in Spain in one month than have been printed and published by all of Islam since the 7th century. How's that? So you're talking about enlightened. You can talk to, talk to me about algebra, and you can, you can talk to me about the writings of Avicenna, which were based on Aristotle and, and Averroes during the, uh, the Middle Ages. But what are the great accomplishments of Islam? It's certainly not tolerance. It's certainly not enlightenment. It's certainly not science. What, is, what have they brought? What have they contributed to Western civilization? And they're not saying, oh, they, they are such a, a great force, even in U.S. history. Let me tell your audience this. Regarding U.S. history, and they, they're, they're saying, oh, we were here before Columbus. Well, let me tell you the truth. At the time of the Civil War, there wasn't one Muslim in the United States of America. At the time of World War I, there wasn't one Muslim in the military. Not one. Not uno. None. Epos. The amount of Muslims who served during World War II represented a mere handful. Less than 500. So their contribution to the United States, I don't know what it is. Uh, even going back to uh, 1960, uh, there was a mosque in Grand Rapids. Uh, there, there were manifestations of the Nation of Islam, which of course is not Islam at all. Uh, these people have contributed absolutely nothing to our culture and, and less to, to Western civilization. As a matter of fact, they're, they're a barbarian horde. They, they represent an end to progress. They represent the repression of women. They represent a group that's, that's involved in child molestation. They, they take young girls and they, they perform genital uh, 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 operations, circumcision on them, uh, so that they will not become wanton. These are people who will not allow even the playing of classical music. I don't know how anyone can look upon this as an enlightened religion or say that this is a religion that does not pose a threat to our way of life, because it does. So it would be accurate to say, wouldn't it, that Islam is not a religion of peace. It is not a golden, shining civilization. It, instead, it has represented historically despotism, oppression of women, predatory war, plunder, and hostage-taking. Exactly. And uh, we even get the word assassin from, from Muslim civilizations, so-called... Uh, there you go. There you go. Once again, during the Crusades, yeah. Yeah, the Hussein, eaters of, of opium, yeah. It's interesting to me the, the deference that the president pays. Now, the president is our, our most feared leader. Uh, if you compare him to his democratic opposition, he is a ferocious warmonger by comparison to them. But he calls Islam a religion of peace, and he bends over backwards to say that the terrorists have hijacked Islam. And um, I've read the Quran, not the whole thing, but good portions of it. And, and what I take away from it is that uh, Osama bin Laden is pretty close to the Quran, as far as I can tell. Oh, he's, he's pretty close to Muhammad. Yes. I mean, Muhammad did commit the exact same acts as, as uh, bin Laden. I mean, they could be brothers. But, uh, yeah, regarding President Bush being a warmonger, I mean, the United States, I mean, if we are at war, and we are at war, uh, I think the American people should realize uh, that this, this president has let us down. If we're at war, 
Jeff, and, and I have two nephews over there, and I'm, I'm in favor of a crusade against Islam. I'm certainly not a pacifist. But if we're going to have war, let's have war as war, not as a police action, not as when I was in, you know, during the Vietnam conflict, not, not during my days or the days of my uncle who served in Korea. Uh, let's, let's have war the way it was meant to be. Uh, let's bring into effect the legislation already on the books, the Smith Act, the Voorhees Act, so that we could round up all these radical imams who are at, these, uh, at mosques throughout the country who are spewing hate, who are spreading the fire of jihad, who are calling for the elimination of Christians and Jews. Let's get these imams and round them up and enforce the letter of the law. If they're uh, from foreign origin, let's put them in concentration camps. Now, if we look at Islam and its teachings, is the goal, I mean, in principle, ideally, even a, a not terribly observant Muslim knows that the idea is for the whole world to become Muslim. Isn't that the impetus of the religion? Isn't that the general Absolutely. direction? I mean, the, the religion is uh, like just like the... Uh, the Nazis with the Third Reich, talking a thousand-year Reich, they are are struggling, and that that's that, that that's what jihad means, of course, for the day of Islam. That means a submission, in which all the world would will be submissive, submitting to the, before the throne of Allah, and uh, the establishment of a universal caliphate. I mean, that that's the goal of their religion. So this is a religion that's goal is to take over the world. Yes. And it shouldn't be treated as a religion. Right. It's really a uh, political movement. If you look at the Quran, it really is. And this is why democracy doesn't seem to work in Islamic countries, is the Quran actually is a formula for a constitution. Yes. Only it's not a democratic one. You're right. And, you know, what's really interesting, Jeff, is look at what happened with our newly found uh, democracy in Iraq. What was the very first thing that the new democracy did? The very first stipulation of the new constitution was the imposition of Muslim law on all the inhabitants of Iraq, which meant that uh, Christians were immediately suppressed, that their churches were destroyed. That right now, as I'm speaking to you, there are over 300,000 Christian refugees in Syria because of the new democracy in Iraq. These people don't, don't want a democracy. They they want a theocracy, and uh, that that is what they have, and that's you know that that was the purpose of the Iranian Revolution in 1979. That is the reason for this jihad, and it will go on and go on and, and go on until there's not a, a, a Muslim left on the face of the earth. Let's let's talk about um, Iraq for a second. We've we've been talking about it in a roundabout way. The United States invaded Iraq in 2003 to depose Saddam Hussein, who had invaded his neighbors, uh, you know, suppressed the Kurds, uh, committed horrible atrocities, was uh, was secretly attempting to build weapons of mass destruction. Uh, I deny all that. Uh, Saddam Hussein was accused of, of killing uh, children in a hospital. This is George H.W. Bush said that he was worse mm -hmm. than Hitler that he, he committed these atrocities in the hospital, that never occurred. Yeah, he did. Right, but the things that I listed did occur. He did invade, attack, unprovoked uh, Iran. He invaded Kuwait. Why did he do that? He did that because, first of all, he provided aid to Saudi Arabia throughout the Iran-Iraq war. 
they encouraged him to stand up to the Shia, which he did. Mm -hmm. I mean, that was the longest war of the 20th century. It lasted from 1980 to 1990. Mm -hmm. They gave him financial aid and support. And at the end of the war, this is what they did to Saddam. They said, we want you to pay all the money back. And then they think Kuwait took over his oil fields. Mm -hmm. I mean, this was not like an act of a madman. I mean, the guy was rightfully teed off. Now, I don't mean to defend the guy. I mean, the guy was a monster. He did, he did gas the Kurds. He did commit atrocities, but certainly he was no worse than the Saudis. Well, you will admit that, that he had an ambition to, to become the great master of the Arab world. Well, we wanted that. We propped him up during the Iran. He was our ally. Well, Iran had taken hostages, and Iran was seen as a as a threat, mm -hmm. and he was counterbalancing Iran. So, we accepted that it was uh, it was to our advantage to have Iran occupied with with Iraq when Saddam just voluntarily attacked it in what September of 1980. Yeah. But I was going to say we invaded Saddam Hussein to overthrow him to bring an end to the threat that he posed. And the result was that they didn't find weapons of mass destruction to the satisfaction of the president's critics. And so the president suddenly, and this was just my impression, started talking about the rationale of the invasion being to bring democracy to the Middle East. Yes. And yes. Uh, this was, was because he had uh, basically uh, taken over a country that was already performing a kind of, well, what you would say a service in the region because it was making everyone afraid and, and everybody was turning to the United States. It made the United States very uh, necessary in the Middle East to have him mm -hmm. there. And he was uh, fairly weak and ineffective as a military leader. And, um, and so the president had this idea of making democracy in there. Now, as I understand, democracy in an Islamic country and a majority Shiite country located next to Iran is tantamount to inviting Iraq of becoming a satellite of Iran. Which, which is happening. That's mm -hmm. the second thing that they did. And we're paying for it. And we're paying for it. The second thing was to forge a new alliance with Ahmadinejad, which occurred immediately uh, in, in, in January 2005 with the new democracy there. Their first act was not to thank the American people for their sacrifice mm -hmm. and the fact that we are, we are spending how, what, how many trillion over there? Well, it's supposed to add up uh, to three trillion at some point in the future when they count it all. I, I don't know if that's true. But, Jeff, you think they would say, oh, yeah, thank you for liberating us. Mm -hmm. Thank you for spending all this money here. Thank you for, you know, protecting us. At the, no. The very first thing that they did, the new government, was to form a new diplomatic relationship with Iran. Mm -hmm. And as you know, Ahmadinejad recently visited Iraq, and uh, he was hailed. I mean, they, he, was, he was celebrated over... You don't, you don't see Cheney and Bush or McCain getting that type of uh, reception over there. It is an extraordinary uh, chapter in the history of the world that the great power of the world has behaved with such utter stupidity as to create out of a a formerly impotent enemy, a larger, greater enemy, at tremendous cost to itself. It's unbelievable, isn't it? Unbelievable. It is unbelievable. And uh, and so, um, just looking to the future, it seems inevitable, given this analysis, that when we leave Iraq, or even when we don't leave it, the newly enabled Iraqi Republic is going to, as an extension of Iran, going to break yes. out. Yes, and, and form the Shia Crescent. And I, I, that would be the great accomplishment, uh, inadvertent, of course, of the Bush administration. 
you will see that Shia crescent spread from, and this has already taken place, from Iran into Iraq, into Syria, and into Lebanon. And, of course, the consequence for the Sunni world, for Saudi Arabia and the Gulf Emirates, is that they can't really trust the United States to be the guarantor of their security anymore, can they? Well, no, but, I mean, that, that that's the role that we've played. And look at the way we're rewarded for that. We are the only ones who have protected the Saudis. And once again, I told, go back to 1980, even through Saddam Hussein. But going back to uh, the Persian Gulf War, 19, 1991, I mean, only one purpose for that, and that was to protect the Saudis. We have been their protectors. And what have we received from that? We've received an oil embargo back in 1973. We're receiving these incredible uh, prices for us developing their oil fields. We are getting the finger every time we turn around from these Saudi princes, mm-hmm. and it's absolutely outrageous. But we continue and continue to and, and continue to genuflect before them. George Bush uh, has not met a uh, a Saudi prince in a white gown that he didn't want to hold hands with. And the Chinese and Russians are moving into the Gulf and making friends with these people because these people are thinking, well, America may not be the future. Maybe these countries are the future. And even worse than that, Jeff, as you know, going back to 1973, we did away with uh, any standard for the dollar. So the only the only strength of the dollar, the only standard for the dollar, remains the fact that barrels of oil are traded in dollars. Mm-hmm. But once the Saudis, and they're threatening to do this already, begin trading oil in euros, what happens to the dollar? What happens to our economy? Well, the dollar already has fallen by a tremendous amount. It's reversed places with the euro, in fact. We are on the way of becoming like a third world country ourselves because of it. It is a very serious economic thing. And from the economic people I talk to, financially speaking, we've drunk the poison and now we must die. In other words, severely constrained uh, finances in this country are going to pretty much dictate a withdrawal from the Middle East. And, and I just I wonder what you think as someone who studied Islam if the United States pulls out of the Middle East, what is going to happen in the Middle East? What's going to happen to oil, and, and is there going to be a, a larger war, and are weapons of mass destruction going to be unleashed against Israel? Well, you know, I'm very much pro-Israeli, and I'm very concerned about their plight there. Uh, they're surrounded, of course, on all sides by the, the most demonic forces imaginable, Hezbollah, Hamas, the PLO. Uh, but what we have to do is forget any attempt to prop up democracy in the Middle East or to support these Islamic countries who have traditionally not been friendly toward us, including Pakistan. We have to support Israel. And, uh, Jeff, I'd like to see us start to invest in the United States rather than in Iraq. Spend those trillions of dollars here. Let's bring back the manufacturing. Let's, Let's get back to the place where we can at least produce a tank in the United States rather than relying on China and Taiwan to do it. Let's get back to the point where we produce our own passports, where the U.S. passports aren't being produced in Thailand. Let's, let's, let's get back to the, the United States being for the United States and for our only true allies, and among them would be uh, Israel. With me is Paul Williams. He's the author of Dunces of Doomsday, a former FBI consultant and expert on Islamic terrorism. I'm Jeff Nyquist, and we'll be back after these messages. You're listening to the Jeff Nyquist Radio Show. 
On air or online, we're Life Radio 1020 WIBG. Christian news talk with purpose and passion from early in the morning. Now in life, you're allowed to support whoever you want, but in partisan politics, there are rules. To Grossman Afternoons. Someone suspects they're an illegal immigrant. The cop is more afraid of arresting them than of letting them go. Chuck Betson Sports Saturdays. That's how you're battling it. I like that. We're not going to ignore it. And Dan Klein, South Jersey Insider. I think that's more than reasonable. I certainly, you know, we're talking about 12 million dollars here. I don't think any reasonable person would blame you one bit. WIBG 1020, the area's first choice, plugging you into life. All right, we're back. I'm Jeff Nyquist. This is the Jeff Nyquist program, and with me is Paul Williams, author of Dunces of Doomsday and other books. He's a former FBI consultant, and we've been talking about Islamic terrorism and the way the United States policy in the Middle East is misguided, in fact, bungled in unimaginable ways, leading to a series of problems for us. And uh, let's let's talk a little bit about the exact Islamic threat, because you've written about this, about al-Qaeda and these other groups, and the possibility of using nuclear weapons against the United States smuggling into the country. You mentioned how open our airports are, how open our ports are. Do you think that there are Islamic nuclear weapons in the United States now? I uh, pretty much know they are. For instance, I was speaking to even like Hamid Mir. Oh, yes. Hamid Mir, the Pakistani journalist who uh, was the last to interview uh, bin Laden. Yes, yes. And uh, he managed to trace several nuclear weapons uh, that, that flowed from a place where you're very familiar with, from, from Chechnya to the Balkans, to Italy, and from Italy into the United States. So uh, he, when he was here, you know, to speak, going back to 2006, he was very open about that. Now, what kind of nuclear weapons have they smuggled into the United States? How large, how small, and how do you think they're going to be used? Well, according to uh, even like the uh, Pakistani scientists who were interrogated by the CIA, Dr. Mahmoud and Dr. Majid, Mahmoud was the uh, chairman of, of Pakistan's Atomic Energy Commission. Mm-hmm. They admitted that they developed uh, nuclear weapons for al-Qaeda. And, uh, you know, bin Laden himself has announced that he has an, an arsenal of, of nukes. From all sources, including Graham Allison at Harvard University and, and Hans Blix, everyone that looked into it believed that they have small tactical nuclear weapons, Jeff, that, that would have a yield of up to 10 kiloton. That would be the same size, uh, the same amount of yield that was released by the bomb that we dropped on Hiroshima and Nagasaki. And, uh, yeah, that's a pretty powerful explosion. Well, if one went off, if one went off in, in New York, for instance, at the site of 9-11, all of lower Manhattan would be taken out. New York City would be uninhabitable for hundreds of years, and, and millions would be dead. Because a ground burst, which is what the terrorists would do of a nuclear weapon, would, uh, would release toxic radiation at the site. Yes, and that would be carried, of course, by the trade winds into Connecticut and New Jersey, into the five boroughs of, of New York. And, uh, yeah, I mean, it would be massive devastation. Now, why haven't they unleashed this devastation on us? What are they waiting for? Well, according to Mir, and, I, you know, I, I think he knows more than anyone, he said they're waiting for, for some galvanizing act. Uh, he, he believes they're waiting for us to make an offensive move against Iran. And he believes that once we try to take out Iran's nuclear facilities, uh, that's when this American Hiroshima will take place. So it's important for psychological reasons for their attack to be justified in the eyes of the Islamic world and, and much of the rest of the world. 
Well, what's interesting, Jeff, is they, that bin Laden and the Mujahideen already received a ruling from the Saudi clerics uh, that it is permissible for them to kill 10 million Americans with nuclear weapons for the sake of parity. They, they issued a very long religious ruling in 2004. Well, they didn't write that ruling, you know, just for a practice in catechism. Uh, they wrote that ruling for a purpose. They gave him permission because he had the weapons to use them against us. That permission has been delivered. Now, we actually know the name of the man that leads bin Laden's nuclear attack team, don't we? Yep. Yep. Uh, Adnan al Shukrajuma. His alias is Jaffer the Pilot. I was just reading uh, Ashcroft's book. It was a silly book. I, I kind of admired him before I read it. But in his book, uh, former attorney uh, General Ashcroft writes about Jose Padilla meeting with this very strange character. This is according to Ashcroft. Very strange character by the name of Jaffer the pilot. And they are planning a nuclear attack on, on the United States. And, and, uh, and Ashcroft in his book says nobody has been able to determine who this Jaffer the pilot uh, is. Well, Jaffer the pilot, if uh, Ashcroft just read his own release on Adnan al-Shukrajuma, he would realize that Jaffer and Adnan are one and the same. And uh, Ashcroft, in, in uh, 2004, said that Adnan al-Shukrajuma was the most dangerous al-Qaeda operative in the Western Hemisphere. He said he's the next Mohammed Atta. He's planning a nuclear attack on the United States. He has to be captured at all costs. Now, this is another story about uh, American stupidity, our stupidity, because even though Ashcroft said that, uh, we, I have a good idea where he is right now. You know, I've been sued for, uh, I think it's $28 million by McMaster University. They, they issue this silly suit against me that I rejoice in. But in any case, I have a very good idea where Adnan is right now. I called up the FBI, informed them, and then I discovered that despite the fact that he's the most wanted al-Qaeda fugitive in the Western Hemisphere, the next Mohammed Atta, a man we must capture at all costs. Despite all that, now get this, the Justice Department has yet to issue a criminal warrant for his arrest. So this guy is right now in Canada, uh, frolicking in the sun, and nothing can be done to, to collar him. Does the government know where he is? Yep. And they won't go after him. What about the Canadian government? Don't they care? Yeah, but if there's no criminal warrant... I was dealing with a leading official with the RCMP, the Royal Canadian Mounted Police. And yeah, they, they cornered him. And guess what? He's not wanted in Canada for any crime. Hmm. And here, they, they have all this evidence, you know, telltale evidence from Khalid Sheikh Mohammed regarding Adnan al-Shukrajuma. But guess what? Is it safe to assume that they're keeping an eye on him? No. <laughs> okay, explain. Well, Jeff, I work with the FBI for years. My work with them resulted in arrests and convictions. But, uh, I mean, the agency is not what it once was. First of all, in order to be an FBI agent now, you have to undergo sensitivity training sessions in Islam. You cannot offend them. You don't have to study the Catholic Catechism, but you have to study the Quran. This is outrageous. These people are so afraid of going into an Islamic community and collaring somebody like Adnan and infuriating the imams that uh, they're unwilling to do so. So we've got a politically correct national security bureaucracy that is weak in the knees and doesn't function properly. Exactly. And you have, as a matter of fact, uh, 
uh, Mueller, Robert Mueller, the head of the FBI, attended a luncheon of the American Muslim Association in Washington, D.C., and he hailed the head of the uh, the ANA as, uh, as an outstanding American, a, a model Muslim. Six months later, the head of the uh, American Muslim Association was called for being an affiliate of al-Qaeda. Mm-hmm. So the entire agency is being led by a boneheaded guy and really serving, you know, I don't know what it does. And the CIA is much the same. Yeah. Yeah, there's no doubt it is. Um, it is the nature of our society. We're a, a commercial shopping mall regime. The emphasis is on hedonism. We don't look that far ahead. We look to the next election cycle or to the uh, business cycle. And uh, six months ahead or a year ahead in profits and losses and uh, all this stuff. And we're stuff. at war. Yeah, and we're at war. And we're at war. And, and let nobody, nobody attempt to uh, uh, downplay this war and the intent of the enemy. They are intent upon our destruction. And we might be lolling around and saying, oh, yeah, we're going to pat you guys on the head. You know, we're going to build democracies all over the Middle East. We're going to reinstall, like we have, uh, pornography in mm. Baghdad. And we are going to allow the uh, the airing of, of sitcoms and, and HBO and MTV. We're going to allow all that. But guess what? These people are not mollified by that. They're infuriated by that. And they are more and more and more intent upon our destruction, including unfortunately, many of the Muslims in our midst. We have Jamaat al-Fukra camps throughout the United States, and nobody's doing anything about it. Okay, explain that. What is a, a Fukra camp? Jamaat al-Fukra. Jamaat al-Fukra, okay. Jamaat al-Fukra is a group responsible for the 1993 bombing of the World Trade Center. Uh, Blind Sheikh Rahman was a member of Jamaat al-Fukra. Mm -hmm. uh, throughout the United States, and I've been at these training camps, they are, have, have established paramilitary compounds in places like Islamburg in New York that I visited, Islamville in South Carolina, Baladula in California, Buena Vista in, Col in Colorado. Throughout the United States, they, at, at oh gosh, at least uh, 25 to 26 sites, paramilitary sites where they train recruits for the jihad, Muslim recruits who come from the prison system. They're trained at these sites in underground bunkers. I've been there. I've seen them. They have landing strips there. They have obstacle courses. And every year, these recruits are sent to Pakistan for further training. And they come back here as good jihadis, prepared to cut our heads off. And we allow that. So what you're telling me is that our Islamic enemy has been made into a sacred cow. Anybody that's listening to our program, just Google Islamberg or Islamville, and see, the, you know, I've written about it copiously, and I've taken pictures of my visit. Hmm. The pictures are worth the zillion words. So the country, despite 9-11, despite 3,000 of our citizens dying horribly and our two largest buildings being destroyed and the Pentagon being set afire, mm -hmm. we're still asleep. Yep, and we're, I don't think we're going to wake up. And... What's happening now is this uh, Shukrajuma is uh, is organizing his band. He's gathering the weapons. And uh, this attack that you anticipate, it's been planned for a long time. They've been gathering their forces, and they want to make it a really devastating, big, nation-destroying hit, don't they? According to uh, all reports on this, including the reports from colleague Sheikh Mohammed, they want to hit at least seven American cities simultaneously with nuclear weapons. 
Now, I, I saw that in the press there were like, and I wasn't sure if it was bogus or, or whether it was real, warnings for a Muslims to leave seven cities. So do we know the seven cities that they're planning to hit? Sure we do. Sure we do. Uh, not only that, but, you know, what I'm telling you right now, I, I want your listeners to go to Mueller. Just go to M-U-E-L-L-E-R, Robert Mueller, nuclear attack. Just Google that. He's predicting that this is going to occur in the near future. The FBI director. The FBI director. And what are the seven cities? Do you recall off the top of your head? Sure, I do. Sure, I do. Uh, the seven cities are New York, uh, Washington, D.C., Miami, Houston, uh, Los Angeles, Las Vegas, Chicago. Did I give you seven? Uh, one, two, three, four, five. Yep, seven. Yep. You know, there are other places mentioned even like Valdez, Alaska. Mm -hmm. I, I believe that there very likely be additional attacks to those seven cities. So in accordance with sort of the Islamic rules of war, Parity. they have told their fellow Muslims to leave these seven cities. Right. And they will be informed. You know, it's really interesting. When I started writing about 9-11, this is right when 9-11 when occurred, and, and I was dealing with uh, people from the past. Mm-hmm. You know, the, really the first responders on the scene, the, the police. And they all told me the same thing, Jeff. They said that on the morning of 9-11 in lower Manhattan, there was not one taxi to be found. Now, almost every taxi driver in New York right now is a Muslim. Hmm. And I looked into this. And, you know, if you look at the, it, like the tapes that remain, like the tapes, you know, uh, outside the Hilton Hotel that was in lower Manhattan at that time, and the tapes at the, at the World Trade Center. You know, you can see ordinarily taxis lined up, you know, one after the other after the other. Mm -hmm. Not on 9-11. Hmm. Will many Muslims in the United States, the radical Muslims, be aware when this is going to occur? You bet you. You know, I, I recall a story of a child, a Muslim child in a school, saying days before the attack that the, the World Trade Center was not going to be there soon. Do you remember that story? I don't remember that story, Jeff. It, it made national news? But my brain cells are dying by the minute. When you get my age, <laughs> that's what happens. Uh, well, is there any recent news on the development of this nuclear attack against the United States that leads you to believe that the U.S. authorities are becoming more vigilant or that the attack is coming sooner rather than later? Well, there's news regarding this, you know, more affirmation. For instance, uh, uh, it's been verified now that bin Laden conducted a test with nuclear weapons in the Kunair province of Afghanistan. Uh, the soil is still hot there. Hmm. And one, one Egyptian scientist has been interviewed, and he was blinded by the, uh, by the blast. So they tested a micronuclear weapon? Yep. Wow. That's uh, quite extraordinary. And once again, you know, this is not just coming, from, you know, if it just came from me, don't believe it. Uh -huh. But what I'm telling you, you can verify it from Mueller, you can verify it by the CIA, you can verify it from people like uh, Graham Allison from Harvard right. University. I mean, all this stuff is very well reported and very and, well. And you have the recent book by Yosef Badansky, the, uh, the, I don't know if he's still the head of the Congressional Task Force on uh, Counterterrorism counter and Unconventional Warfare. Grand old guy. Yeah, he, he wrote the first major book on bin Laden that came out. Sure did. Bin Laden, the man who declared war on America, came out in 1999 and created something of a sensation because yes. he was the first to publicize the fact that bin Laden had, at that time, he, he figured around 20 nuclear warheads. Yes. And he's come out with a new book now this past few months. Yes. 
on Chechnya and uh, Chechnya as the sort of uh, testing ground and training ground for al-Qaeda. He's right. This is pretty interesting because the nuclear weapons we're talking about, a lot of them are coming from the former Soviet Union. Yes, they all are. Yeah. And not only the the weapons, you know, the -the off-the-shelf weapons, but the nuclear material. You gotta realize that in the in the in the wake of the uh, collapse of the Soviet Union uh, by 1995, Germany had reported Germany had reported over 700 sales of nuclear material mm. from the Soviet Union. Yeah, yeah. There's a thefts of nuclear material in in, in Africa and in South Africa and other places. This is uh, we wouldn't have the problem with Iran. We wouldn't have the problem with uh, Dr. Khan. Any of that without the breakdown of the of the Soviet Union in the release of this material. And did you hear about this report that came out in January from this congressional committee about our National Guard being ill-equipped and uh, poorly trained to respond to any kind of emergency? They are. matter of fact, you see the expenditures that, that are made every year for Homeland Security. I don't know why we have Homeland Security, because we already have a, a, a State Department and Defense Department. But in any case, we have this massive uh, uh, bureaucracy. Jeff, the, the 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 money that they spent. I mean, there's nothing that, that's being spent to really address the major problems facing the American people. Like, for instance, to prepare first responders with iodine tablets so that people will not die of radio radiological poisoning. Mm-hmm. And they're very very inexpensive. They haven't even done that. I mean, that's step number one. It's like a it's the cost of a bottle of vitamins. Less. Mm-hmm. And it protects your thyroid from absorbing cesium-137. Exactly. And unless you are protected, you will die like Letvinenko. Yeah, you'll get radiation into your body that will stay in your body and, and, and do great damage. Exactly. It's It's very disturbing that I find in my study of the way the U.S. reacted in the Cold War is a progressive inability of American society and culture and politics to absorb the fact that they had an enemy, a lethal enemy in the Soviet Union or or now in China. And you find the exact same thing when you look at this problem with Islam, that we have a great difficulty accepting the reality of the enemy and adapting to that reality. I go beyond that right now. I was rereading uh, Freud's uh, Civilization and its Discontents. And he, he, he was saying how uh, civilizations are built by this life spirit, the eros. Mm-hmm. You know, like uh, Islam, the faith is new, it's vital, it's violent, it's masculine. Uh, but Freud said that eventually civilizations like ours turn from eros, from the uh, desire to multiply and, and spread our civilization and to thrive, well, we we turn from that to Thanatos, death. to a desire for death. Yeah, that's the only explanation I, I, I can I can offer for what's taking place in the United States. A massive death wish. That reminds me of James Burnham's book forty years ago called Suicide of the West, in which he uh, he basically described modern liberalism as the ideology of Western suicide. Yeah, and we have it right now. Yeah, it it seems so. But but don't you think that when we are attacked, when this big attack happens, that we're going to suddenly change in this country and we're not going to have these, well, you call them dunces of doomsday. We're not going to have the same leaders that we have now. No, but uh, I, I think that the situation, looking at the, at the, at the uh, eventual outcome of, of, of the election, if Hillary is elected, it will only exacerbate the, the, the situation because 
you know, they hated Clinton, uh, the the Mujahideen and radical Islam. Mm-hmm. They uh, they hated the American people for not expressing outrage at his uh, depravity, mm-hmm. and uh, they they would hate the idea of Hillary being the uh, executive officer, chief executive officer. So, I mean, that that would be in terms of radical Islam. Uh, 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 catastrophic. Uh, having uh, Barack Obama in there, I think, would be uh, equally uh, catastrophic because, you know, he is somebody who was exposed to Islam. And uh, according to his school records in Jakarta, he's listed as a Muslim student. And But the fact that he's now proclaiming himself to be a Christian makes him an apostate, which makes him hateful in the eyes of Islam. And then thirdly, you have uh, McCain, who wants to appoint James Baker as his uh, chief mediator in the Middle East. And, Jeff, you know what that was. James would, uh, Baker is kind of an appeaser, isn't he? Not only an appeaser, he's, a, he's, a, he's, he's really all but a Saudi. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he's, he's, he's sort of uh, part of the Bush-Saudi um, relationship that's existed for many years. Right. Now, what's the prospect that we're... If we are attacked, that we'll even be a democracy, have an election, and have another president. Well, of course, you know, if, if that attack occurred while Bush is still in office right now, according to the new stipulations on the uh, Patriot Act, a state of, of emergency could be declared, which would uh, bring an end to the election and, uh, and, and impose martial law. I mean, that, that's very likely to occur as well. I, I, I can't look into a crystal ball or project mm-hmm. what, you know, what's going to occur, but everything I'm looking at, the indicators are not good. No, the indicators are not good. And, and you know, I'm impressed by the the possibility that the republic cannot continue in this way, that we cannot continue to live as we have lived, not just simply because there are financial constraints uh, coming into effect, but because... We cannot live so distracted that we neglect our defense in this way. When there are people out there, enemies who we allow to come, I mean, we've taken a serpent to our bosom, haven't we? Yeah, and it, it, it's very The American people are even unaware of what's, what's happening right now to them. And you see, because things occur always at a snail's pace. Like right, right now, Americans are, might believe that they're very reasonably well off, despite the fact that they're are foreclosing their houses and they're uh, they're they're living in in dire debt, but they're not aware of of, of simple things like the fact that right now they're not uh, capable of traveling, even that, like they once were. They can't afford, for instance, to go to Europe. They can't even afford to go to Canada. These things have been taken away from them. Their manufacturing jobs have been taken away from them. Their agricultural jobs have been taken away from them. Uh, the, the chances for advancement have been taken away from them. Uh, a lot of the freedoms that we once have have been taken away from them. So we're gradually, gradually, gradually uh, disintegrating. We have a very old democracy, the oldest in history, and, you know, uh, they're not meant to last for a long time. Yeah, that's interesting. I I look at this as situation, and I see it sort of as one of those red flag indicators that we are near the end of the Republic. We're near the end of the, the dispensation that, that began in the 18th century, and perhaps at the end of, of the kind of liberty and prosperity that we've had. Um, it's going to be a, a much harder life and a much darker future for our children, isn't it? Hey, yeah, I mean, I, 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 you know, I hate to think that, but you got to realize, that even looking at uh, all projections, uh, 
the white race in in the United States, uh, the Western civilization, uh, is just, just in terms of demographics, it's at an end. I mean, numbers don't lie. You know, I'm I might be capable of lying. You know, you're capable of lying, but the numbers don't lie. And uh, the day of, of of America for what what it once was racially and what it once uh, stood for ideologically is 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 past us. The European tribe is dying out. Yeah, that's right. The European tribe is dying out, and the others are are sharpening their knives to take our place. Yeah, well, Jeff, you know, to this day, if you if you if you say things like, "Oh, Western civilization was is the greatest civilization in the world," that it, you know, it's it's the only civilization that promotes you know freedom and and liberty and and and, and dignity. Yeah, this is all true. But if you say things like that, you're, uh, you know, you're accused of being a, a bigot. And, uh, you know, eventually you, you stop, you know, proclaiming such things, despite the fact that I'm still saying them. Right. But it, it is the truth. Have you been called an Islamophobic, xenophobic, racist, warmongering bigot? Jeff, I'm being sued all over the place. Are you kidding me? Tell me about that. Uh... I'm I'm interested. You you mentioned that before. Tell me about this this these lawsuits and and how they go after you and who who it is that's doing it. Well, the, there's there there are a group of uh, of Muslims at at uh, McMaster University. I know that Adnan was up there with other Al Qaeda operatives. I traced them up there. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, 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 the reports came when when they left uh, McMaster, which has the largest reactor for educational purposes, one of the largest. Uh, reactors uh, for educational purposes in 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 the Western world. Uh, when they left that that reactor, uh, according to John Loftus, who's a former federal prosecutor and mm-hmm. numerous other sources, uh, 180 pounds of nuclear material was missing. Uh, when I went up there and I looked into uh, the School of Engineering that runs the reactor, I discovered that it it it's, was run by uh, Muslims from Egypt. And uh, many of these people uh, had alleged or real ties to the Muslim Brotherhood. And that in areas like earthquake engineering research at Master University, they had 15 staff members, 14, 14, Jeff, were uh, uh, Muslims from Egypt. The hmm. 15 was uh, a Muslim from uh, Iraq. And they're suing you. Well, I proclaimed all this stuff, and they said, uh, cease and desist. You're maligning our university. I was calling it Jihadi U and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. And they said, cease, cease and desist. If you appear on any other programs, we're going to sue you. And I, I just said, na 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 boo boo and kept writing about them. <laughs> well, you know, I got whacked with the, the, the problem about that is I never thought it could happen. you got to realize I'm being sued in Canada under Canadian law, which is radically different than our own. Uh, and I'm an American journalist. I'm like you. You know, I'm a Yank. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm, uh, I don't mind if I do something wrong in the United States to be uh, punished for violating our laws. I should be. But I didn't violate our laws. I was, you know, I was acting according to the standards of American journalism. But right now I'm being sued in Canada under Canadian law. All my rights have been taken away. Freedom of press, freedom of speech. I'm being sued for, like I told you, $28 million up there. Mm-hmm. I, ha- I had to hire lawyers that, that uh, charged me $475 an hour, and it's not fun. Mm, wow. And, and it would go away if I would apologize. Uh, we're at the end of the hour, uh, Paul. Do you have any closing thoughts for our listeners? Yes. Be American. 
and stand up and, you know, be an American and, and stand up for America first and, uh, and, and insist on doing away with things like NAFTA, insist on addressing the threat of a radical of radical Islam and insist upon the closing of all borders and ports of entry. Well said. I want to thank you for being on the program, Paul. This has been very enlightening. Yeah, well, you're uh, you're my man. Okay. Well, thank you, and uh, good luck out there with your uh, lawsuits. Thanks, Jeff. You're listening to the Jeff Nyquist Radio Show with your host, Jeff Nyquist. Some radio stations are just noise and chatter. WIBG 1020 AM is radio with a passion and purpose. From early in the morning to Grossman Afternoons, Chuck Betson Sports Saturdays, and Dan Klein South Jersey Insider. WIBG 1020, the area's first choice, plugging you into life. Well, you've heard the message of Paul Williams. You've heard what he thinks. And the thing that I draw from it, uh, because I don't know, and perhaps no one really knows what the Islamic movement is capable of, whether they have working nuclear weapons, whether they're able to organize a major attack on the U.S., or whether they are uh, shills in a, in a much greater game uh, played by great powers. What I take away from it is the fact of the U.S. government's failure, not only in its foreign policy in Iraq, but also in its ability to defend the homeland. And I, I take this to the American people because I think we've become a distracted, hedonistic shopping mall regime and that we all bear some responsibility for being consumers instead of citizens. I am Jeff Nyquist, and I hope you'll join me next week at the same time for another edition of the Jeff Nyquist Program. You've been listening to the Jeff Nyquist Radio Show. We invite you to join us again next week at the same time. In the meantime, please visit Jeff's website at jrnyquist.com. Again, that's jrnyquist.com. Thank you for listening.